you can take a seat. Thank you, Bent. Beautiful, beautiful. I love Christmas carols, and so I always get excited this time of year when the band begins the service with a Christmas carol, and I'm so excited that we're doing carols tonight, and I just love Christmas. My tree was up in the middle of November. People were um, posting on social media that they were really like, oh, my, I've, put, I've put my tree up early, and it was like the last week of November, and I was like, my tree has been up for three weeks. <laughs> I love Christmas. I'm so excited. I also, I'm feeling, last week, if you were here last week or, or you watched online, you joined us online last week, Pastor Brad said, I don't know what's up with me this morning. I'm so energized. I apologize for being so silly. I feel a bit the same today. I'm so excited to see all of your faces smiling back at me, to know that you guys are tuning in online as well. I'm just excited. It feels like after a long and difficult year, perhaps there's um, some real joy to be had in this next season. I'm just a bit excited, so bear with me. I'm also very excited about what what I uh, feel that God has been speaking to me about and what I'm going to share with you this morning about the Christmas story. Christmas is a difficult time of year to preach because it's such well-known territory for all of us. It's a bit like Easter. Easter is difficult. Like, I love Easter. Again, a great time of year. I maybe even prefer it to Christmas. Was that me? Kieran did this. (laughs) Hopefully it wasn't me. Uh, Christmas and Easter are just difficult because we all know the territory so well. Um, But this morning, I I hope that... um, I'm going to nerd out a little bit with some translation and some cultural context and the kind of things that make me excited, but I, I hope and I pray that if you hang on there with me through the nerdy moment, that we're going to uh, be really encouraged by the Christmas story uh, all afresh this morning. And perhaps we might get to the end and you're, you will think, no, Lauren, no, I didn't enjoy that. And that's okay too, but my encouragement to you would be, uh, be open always to what the Word is speaking to you. Be open always to what God is revealing to us uh, and, and be ready to hear fresh again from God and, and what He is speaking to us in each season. So, I'm going to talk about the Christmas story. I'm going to talk about, yes, Karen was excited. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the Christmas story. Uh, I don't know, one of my favourite things at Christmas is what happens is it pops up around town is the little nativity scenes. I love it. Like, oh, that's baby Jesus in the supermarket. <laughs> I love it. And we see this picture of the nativity. And I wonder if when you think of the birth of Jesus, that's sort of the picture that you have. Perhaps you imagine a little stable, a little barn with a star above and angels singing in the sky and some dirty shepherd men and their sheep and a baby Jesus in a trough and uh, Mary and Joseph. (laughs) Maybe uh, if you're a Love Actually fan, a lobster (laughs) present at the birth of Jesus. Some donkeys, I don't know. Uh, Perhaps that's what you imagine. Three wise men turning up with really bizarre gifts for a baby. But maybe that's not... 100% the picture of the birth of Jesus. Uh, And so I want to look this morning, we're going to look in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Pastor Brad read from from there uh, last Sunday as well. And just see if if the the picture-perfect understanding that we have of the nativity and the birth of Jesus is really what Scripture reveals to us. Because uh, most of us would know uh, already and agree that it's very unlikely that the wise men arrived the night that Jesus was born. 
In fact, we're not, and there certainly was not three of them. We have no idea. There was three gifts, but how many wise men there were and when they arrived, it's up for interpretation a little, sometime before Jesus turned two, we reckon. So most of us would pretty happily agree that, but we still like to include them in the nativity because they look good standing there with their weird gifts leaning over the baby, right? But we know that they weren't really there. So I want to dive in this morning and have a look and see if perhaps with a little more context and cultural understanding that maybe uh, it's not as we imagine it, but maybe it's something better. Maybe it's something better. So we're going to turn uh, in Luke and we're going to go to chapter 2, which is where you will find an account of Jesus, uh, the birth of Jesus. We're going to start at verse 4. And as I read, I'm going to uh, highlight, I'm going to you know, have an idea, note some scriptures just to hold in your mind because uh, they will help us to paint a picture in a moment of perhaps what, what the birth of Jesus really was like. So Luke 2 verse 4 says, So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee in Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because Here's the first one to note. He belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to their firstborn son. Now, I just... We just pause for one sec. Luke is a doctor and that is how he... And then she just gave birth to her firstborn son. Some of you may... Most of you probably know this. Some of you might not. I'm about halfway cooked to human. And I really hope that it's just one verse of like, and then she gave birth to a child. <laughs> just, right? Come on, Luke. It highlights for me probably that uh, even uh, <clears throat> though Luke was a physician, men in that time didn't have a huge understanding potentially of what was going on in childbirth. Anyway... The child came forth, Jesus came forth, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. This is a one to mark in your mind. A manger because there was no guest room available to them. And then there were shepherds living in a field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. That's not one to note, it's just a good one, isn't it? Good news that will bring great joy for all people. And today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah and the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find him, again, wrapped in cloths, laying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger where the angels had told them, Uh, that the baby would be laying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about the child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Okay, so that's a few things 
to keep in mind, and we'll hit back on them, and, and stay with me, even if you think this is going to be boring. I promise it's not. It's a little bit nerdy, but it's very interesting. <laughs> so here's the picture. Joseph arrives for the census because he's been called back to his hometown with uh, very pregnant Mary with him. Now, I don't know about you, but I have often imagined it to be, and it seems silly now thinking of it, that like they arrive and she is 40-something weeks pregnant and is like, I'm having a baby right now, where can I have it? And they say, sorry, there's no room anywhere, you're going to have to go in the barn, (laughs) right? I don't know why, but that is my picture, that they're banging on doors like, uh, she's about to have a baby and we need some room and everybody says, no, sorry, no room for that labouring mother, out in the barn you go. But actually the scripture is probably uh, hinting that they'd been in Bethlehem for a while and then when the time came for Mary to have the child, they were in Bethlehem. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, imply that they were rushing and that they were in a hurry and that they had to immediately find somewhere to birth Jesus. It sort of suggests that they had been there a little while, uh, which probably should make us think that had they been staying in a barn for two weeks? It doesn't make sense. Surely they would have found somewhere else to stay if they, if, if they knew that they were going to be having a baby. Uh, so if they weren't in a barn, if they weren't shunned in with the animals, where were they? Where were they? So around this, this part of uh, Scripture, Luke reminds us uh, that Joseph belonged to the house and the line of David. So something that perhaps gets missed in our reading uh, and our cultural understanding uh, is the culture of hospitality and family uh, in, in this time and in this part of the world. That uh, if, if a young man came to town and he was from that town, it was his hometown, even if he had never been there, even if it had only been his father or his grandfather that had lived there, the hospitality and the culture of the place would have said, we'll find room for you, we'll find room for you to stay, to stay with us. And so then, even on top of that, Joseph is a part of the line of David, and so even more so, it would have been very exciting. Even with all of the people coming home for the census, there still would have been a sense of, oh, Joseph is here, he's the line of David, and did you know, right? So, uh, it's very unlikely that he would have been shunned out with uh, his, his pregnant uh, soon-to-be wife. It's very unlikely. Uh, even if you were to show up unannounced, even if you were to show up unannounced to, to somebody's home, somebody's home that you'd never met, but they were part of your family, you would have been uh, expected to be welcomed in. There's a few uh, sort of different hints to this through scripture and there's a couple if you wanted to look them up at another time in this one in Deuteronomy 10:19 and Leviticus 19:33 and they speak about uh, being hospitable and caring towards strangers let alone family members let alone Joseph from the line of David and so it's very likely that no hospitality would have been held back from them and perhaps they because the town was very full they might have struggled a little bit to find a family home that would take them in but uh, it's very unlikely they would have been shunned right out of the town. And so then when we read that Mary placed him in a manger because there was no room in the guest room, there's something in our minds and in the traditional telling of the story where, I don't know about you, but I certainly imagine an innkeeper saying, no, 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 no vacancy, find somewhere else to stay. But actually, uh, because of this culture of hospitality at the time, 
most homes, uh, especially sort of middle and lower class homes, would have had two main rooms. And so uh, the, the, the main room, the family room, was, uh, uh, would have been some dirt floor and then a raised section, uh, whether with timber or something like that, to keep it up out of the dirt. And that was the room where the family did their living. Um, so they would have slept and ate and gathered there as a family. And the dirt portion of the room was used to bring the animals inside at ev- in the evening because, again, our cultural reading of the text says, oh, if it's in a manger, she must be out with the animals. But the sort of more probable and likely thing is that they were in the home with the animals, because in the evening that's where the animals would have been, uh, because they held great value to these people in these communities at that time and and even uh, in some parts of the Middle East still. And so it's very likely that the animals would have come in in the evening into the dirt portion of the family home. Does that make sense? And then, so that was the one room, and the second room was a guest room that was available for when people came to stay because of this culture of family and hospitality and uh, hosting and helping people. And so when we read that there was no room in the inn, that there was no room in the guest room, what we're actually reading is that Bethlehem was full and there was no room in the special room that is set aside for guests and visitors, perhaps the nicer room that is set aside for hosting and welcoming people, but there was room made for them in the family space, in the room where the family did life together with the animals and the children and the people. And so when, when we hear that she was laid in a manger and when the shepherds hear that the baby was laid in a manger, something in their mind, because they were raised in this time and in this place and were probably born in a similar situation, were like, oh, so that she must be inside with the family and they've laid the baby in the manger because that's where the manger was in the family space where the animals were. Does that make sense? So we get this completely sort of different picture painted for us of it's not a family shunned into the stable, but in fact it's a family welcomed into an intimate family-only space, into the intimate, private, personal space of a family's life together, not stuck out in the barn to, to birth a child alone. I've skipped way ahead on my notes, but I think I hit all the points, so we're all good. <laughs> it's actually likely that, uh, that Mary, we have this picture of her birthing a child by herself with her terrified Joseph being like, I don't know, what are you supposed to do? Get hot towels and water? I don't know what you're supposed to do. It's potentially, possibly more likely that she was surrounded by women who had been birthing children this way for generations that Joseph's family, that generations of women in Joseph's family were there to support her and encourage her and welcome Jesus into the world. I was talking to uh, my very wise friend, Tom Poss, about this. (laughs) If you don't know Tom Poss, uh, occasionally he makes a very loud sound on the drums. I should note that that little drummer boy certainly should not have been showing up at someone's house when they had a newborn baby drumming away his little drum solo. So, Thomas, that's your warning in May. You're not to come to my house with your drum kit, all right? 
Anyway, I was chatting to my very wise friend Thomas about this because I get very excited and Thomas is very sensible. And he said to me, in an encouraging and challenging way, not in a dismissive way, he said, yeah, but what does it matter, Lauren? Yeah, well, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just a fun little tidbit to know that Jesus was born, not shunned in a stable, but was born in this family environment. Maybe, maybe it doesn't really matter at all. I sort of started to think on and pray about and think on, well, does it matter? What does it matter? Does it make a difference that the story is perhaps a little different to how we imagine it? Does it make a difference? And I think there's a couple of ways that it makes a difference, at least in my mind, that I want to share, share with you this morning. Apart from some interesting context and, and something fun you can tell your family at Christmas, what difference does it make? And I think, you know, the key sort of thing we've touched on is that they were, they were likely surrounded by family, not alone. And I think that makes a difference to how we understand and interpret the birth of Jesus because from the very beginning, we see God's plan at work. We see uh, God's plan for the church and we see God's plan for family being together and we see God's plan for how things will continue. We don't see Jesus shunned. We see the church opening. We see family opening. We see room for people. In Ephesians 2.19, it says, You're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Now, obviously, this scripture we could dive into is a different context, but, but it's this thread that runs through all of scripture, this idea that we are part of the family of God. We are part of the family of God. We are adopted sons and daughters. We are part of the family of God, not just on the outside, not just extras, but welcomed right in welcomed right into a relationship with God, welcomed right into the family space. And we see from the moment that Jesus is born, God's picture for how it will continue has already begun. It has already begun. And for me, that makes a difference. For me, that that makes a difference. And we see another key sort of difference in the two tellings is the humility of the thing. And now perhaps, perhaps you think that being shunned out into the shed <laughs> to have a baby is more humble. But I actually think... That, that there is some argument for being born in the way that all the common people at the time were being born shows more humility. And there's a, there's a pretty uh, a well-known scripture in Philippians that talks about the humility of Jesus' death. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. Is uh, Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we see at the end of Jesus' life, we see this great act of humility, but actually we see it at the beginning also. From the moment that he is born, he is born in humility. He is born... Uh, in a way that is perhaps more humble than no vacancy at the inn. We see a, a child born in the same way that every common child of that time was born. And in fact, part of the reason I, I believe that the shepherds were able to go and see the child and not be afraid is because when the angels said to him, he's laying in a manger, they thought, great, he's been laid down in the dirt in the family home just like we were. 
And so there's this picture where, that we see, a foreshadowing of the way that the church will be, that is that uh, it is not this secret, unattainable thing, but it is 100% God, 100% his goodness and holiness in a child coming to the everyman coming to the common people to bring the good news of Christmas, to bring hope to the hopeless. Do you see how just that slightly different reading for me brings such encouragement and such joy? It's the humanity of God, 100% man and 100% God, just balancing, balancing on this baby child, just freshly born, saying... This is, this is not something for only the wise or only the, those who can understand or only the wealthy or only the... This is a story. This is a, this is a truth. This is a, this is a hope for the everyman. Look at him. He is an everyman, born just as you were. But we know that he brings the good news of, of God, that he brings the good news of the gospel, that he brings uh, the Trinity with him. Do you know Oh, I get... <sighs> It's been a long time since I've been this excited to preach on a Sunday. It's always smiling faces also. It just is good. It is just good. I don't know about you, but for me, it brings a richness to the story. That, that the picture-perfect tradition on Christmas cards of, of the birth of Jesus has just been missing because I've seen it again and again and again, and I think the wise men weren't even there, and I wonder if that's what it looked like. But this reading, what the Scripture really says, to me brings a richness to the story and brings more hope to the story and brings more goodness to this. And so the key sort of thing for me that gets pulled out of it is that there is room. Because the story of Christmas can seem like one of, sorry, there is no room for you here. There is no room for you here. And perhaps if you read it that way, it reads uh, like uh, the persecuted church and uh, the fact that we are alien in this place and so there is no room for us, right? Off, out into the barn you go. But for me, there is more hope in the reading that says, no, there is room. There is room. There is room for you. There is room for you in the family of God. There is room for you in the intimate places and the intimate spaces. There is room for you in relationship with God. There is room for you in this church. There is room for you. And there was room for Jesus. God is making room, special room, not just the guest room, but special, intimate, personal room that is specifically there for you, that is waiting for you. There is room for you in this place. And so my, my big encouragement to you this Christmas is that, is that, that there is room for you. If you have ever felt on the outside, there is room for you. From the moment that Jesus was born, there was room for him and there is room for you in the family of God. There is room for you. If you have ever felt on the outside, if you have ever felt that you didn't belong, if you ever felt in any doubt, let me assure you this Christmas that there is room for you. There is room at the, at the end. <laughs> there is room in the personal space. There is room. Maybe we like the old traditional look, but I don't know about you, but for me that brings me more hope this Christmas. We're not shunned to the shed, but that the good news is full of hope and that there is room for all of us in it. Not just us here or online, but those in our families, those in our community, those that we work with. There is room for everyone. 
God is preparing a place. And so my encouragement to you this morning is this. If your heart has felt heavy as if you do not belong, there is room for you. And if there are people in your life who do not know that there is room for them, then can I challenge you this Christmas to share the hope with them. To share that hope with them. There is room in this family. There is room with God for you. I'm going to pray and invite the band to come up. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a good God who cares deeply for us. And we ask that you show us more of who you are this morning, more of who your son Jesus is, and more um, of the the good news, God. We thank you that there is room for us, but there is also room for others. And so we ask this morning that that you challenge us and encourage us toward those who do not know how good this news is yet. And for those of us that are tired and worn down and doubting your goodness after a long year, we ask that you would show us again that there is room for us in relationship with you, that there is room for us in the family of God, that there is room for us in the intimate spaces. So God, we just thank you that You were so, so good to us. Amen. Why don't you stand? Uh, And if you're watching online, I want to say to you, if you have never heard that there is room for you and that uh, you will be welcomed into the family of God, uh, can I encourage you to reach out to one of our team and talk to them about that this morning? We would love to pray with you and speak more to you about Jesus and what he has done for you and how deeply he loves you. And if this morning it is a fresh, uh, fresh idea for you or a fresh challenge for you, can I encourage you to pray with someone this morning? If you would like a pastor to pray with you, we can do it from a, a little distance. We'd love to pray with you this Christmas because Christmas isn't just a traditional thing that we do. It's a time that we celebrate and we celebrate for a reason. And so, um, so let us take this time in the busyness of this Christmas season, at the end of a long year, to remember who Jesus really is and what he has done for us.